Hello, and welcome to From Russia with News, a weekly news and analysis podcast produced by the Moscow Times. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Millions of citizens of Russia are united by the Olympic dream. I view the Russians as a far greater challenge that we have. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. A unique country, not bad, not bad at all. My name is Jonathan Brown, and I'm an editor here in our newsroom in central Moscow. This week on the program, tensions between Russia and Ukraine are boiling over after a dramatic naval skirmish last weekend. Ukraine has imposed martial law, and Russia is deploying advanced missile systems to Crimea. Is the flare-up just a ploy to boost Putin's approval ratings? Or does the crisis really mark the opening of a new front in the nearly five-year conflict? Journalists Elena Chernenko and Christopher Miller are on the line to tell us more. I would argue, actually, that we could have seen this coming. Uh, for months now, things have been, I mean, tensions have been rising in the Sea of Azov. And later in the program, Russia's top rappers are banding together against what they say is a growing campaign of government censorship. It all started with the arrest of a rapper named Husky, but many are now asking where the crackdown will end. Art and music can change the opinion, change uh, the country. Maria Alyokina, a founding member of Pussy Riot, spent years behind bars after the group's controversial punk performance in Moscow's Christ the Savior Cathedral. We'll ask her just how far the Kremlin is likely to go this time around. First up... This is audio of the exact moment a Russian border guard boat rammed into a Ukrainian military tugboat in the Sea of Azov last weekend. In short order, Russia had seized three Ukrainian boats and detained 23 servicemen. Pundits are calling it the most serious escalation since Russia annexed the Crimean Peninsula in 2014. Joining us on the line to discuss the fallout is Christopher Miller, a journalist with Radio Free Europe based in Ukraine, and Elena Chernenko, foreign editor at the Kommersant newspaper based in Moscow. Elena, just days before the incident, you interviewed Russia's deputy foreign minister about escalating tensions in the Sea of Azov. Should we have seen this coming? No, not at all. And I didn't have the impression from the interview that the ministry, uh, the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, was expecting um, any rising tensions um, in this area. Um, the representative of the ministry that I was uh, speaking to was Grigory Karasin, the deputy of Sergei Lavrov. And he said two things uh, that I thought were important in the aftermath. Uh, the first one is that Russia has had no intentions and doesn't have any intentions to close the Kerch Strait. Uh, he said it twice. And then something else uh, that was important uh, this week, he said that there was an example when in September uh, a ship that belongs to the Ukrainian military was going the same route. Uh, it was accompanied by uh, the Russian professional um, navigators. They helped them get through this uh, Kerch Strait and that everything was okay because the Ukraine informed the Russian authorities about its plans in advance. Chris, no official plans to escalate. How is the official narrative being met with in Ukraine? Sure. Actually, if I can just add a little bit uh, to what was said previously, um, uh, before we get to that, you know, I, I would argue actually that you know, we could have seen this coming uh, for months now. Things have been, I mean, tensions have been rising in the Sea of Azov. I was there in July and August and on a boat in the Sea of Azov where you, uh, with, with the Ukrainian sailors, you know, who were patrolling waters where Russian boats were becoming more and more prevalent. And, you know, uh, we, we kind of saw these tensions rising. And while Sunday's clash may not have been 
you know, predictable in exactly that, that manner. We knew something um, was certainly possible. You know, I mean, there, there have been more than 150 ships that were being detained by Russian FSB boats. Um, Ukrainians were also detaining Russian boats. You know, this had just been kind of building and building and building until it all finally came to a head on Sunday. Uh, as for as for um, uh, the Russian narrative of events and, you know, the Ukrainian authorities um, and, and, and Ukrainian observers here um, have not uh, really minced words. You know, they've said that the, the Russian narrative is is uh, based on, on lies and not on fact. They've presented what they say is evidence that contradicts uh, the Russian narrative. You know, we've seen uh, the release of uh, audio intercepts, some that were alleged to have been recorded by uh, the, the uh, Russians on board those boats involved over the weekend and other videos that were uh, recorded by the Ukrainians. And then just today, uh, there actually just in the last couple of hours, there was a press conference by the security service of Ukraine that presented yet another video and actually some new information that I don't believe had been reported uh, up until now, which was that there were also um, uh, two aircraft involved uh, that had fired on those boats, according to the security service again. The evidence that has been presented, um, you know, while while I think that you know the, the the source of this being the security service of Ukraine and 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 some of the military here, you know, that have at times presented uh, some dubious evidence just because of the, the the ongoing conflict in Donbass and with Crimea and and you know a lot of misinformation disinformation happening, you know, a lot of a lot of the evidence that we've seen does seem to to make sense and and um, you know show that one side was certainly uh, behaving much more aggressively and and that um, you know one side did in fact open fire on on the other. Elena, there's uh, a theory circulating uh, on social media, uh, which is which has been uh, discussed by pundits on on Twitter, that that this crisis was created to 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 bolster Putin's ailing approval ratings. Does does that theory have any legs? How does it come across to you? I don't know uh, what are the strongest words that one can choose uh, in this kind of format. Um, I would rather say it's a stupid theory. I don't think that Vladimir Putin needs uh, such act to bolster his popularity. Uh, he is still quite popular, though his uh, ratings have sunk because of the pension reform. But I don't see how this should work into his hands uh, and raising his popularity. Um, there is concerns among uh, the population here as well that this might amount to a great, even greater escalation and even uh, victims from both sides. So I, I don't see how this should uh, uh, play into his uh, popularity. Let me correct also something that I that I said before. And I agree with Christopher that um, the tensions were rising for months. That's absolutely true. What I meant is that uh, I was speaking to Grigory Karasin on Thursday and the interview came out on Friday. Uh, I don't think that them here, the diplomats, the Russians, uh, and, and me neither from speaking to them, um, we did not expect that this would, the escalation would happen so fast. It happened on Sunday already, so two days after that. Uh, that's what I meant. But absolutely, the, uh, the um, tensions were rising for months, but I think that the, the um, trigger for this from the Russian side was not a wish to raise Putin's popularity, but rather a response to uh, Ukrainian actions whenever uh, in the spring of this year they arrested a Russian ship, which is called Nord, with the whole team for uh, having entered uh, Crimean ports. 
um, so, so most of the um, seamen were released uh, in the uh, coming months, but I think the captain of that ship is still uh, in Ukrainian custody, and Russia has tried a lots and lots of means to get him um, free, um, as well as the whole team that didn't really work out. And um, I see this whole uh, Russian activity uh, from the FSB, from the Russian military in the Azov Sea as kind of a response uh, f- uh, on the Ukrainian actions. Chris, we've been hearing in the aftermath reports of, of Russian citizens being barred entry to Ukraine through through airports. What else could we see happening in the coming weeks that could further strain relations? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know what the current number is as of this morning, but uh, yesterday afternoon I was told that at least 76 Russian citizens had been barred from entering the country uh, at, at Borispol Airport. Um, and I was told that by the border guard service while while visiting a, a border crossing uh, at the Ukraine-Russia border in Kharkiv region. Um, this is the U- Ukrainian border service? Yes, yes, correct, the Ukrainian border service. Uh, what we could see uh, is a, a further crackdown on um, uh, border entry for Russians. And and Poroshenko was actually forthcoming in saying that. I think he, he, he spoke to Christian Amanpour on CNN and, and, and told that uh, yesterday, uh, uh, regional authorities in Odessa also said uh, that they were going to be cracking down on um, uh, entry, uh, or actually, uh, rather in Kherson, sorry, uh, which borders uh, the, the Crimean Peninsula to the north. They said that they were going to be restricting um, entry to Ukraine for Russian citizens in particular. Uh, you know, I think, I think you know, at, at all the airports right now, um, uh, security is on high alert. The military, of course, is on high alert. So is the border guard service. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I think more broadly speaking, uh, with, with the martial law, while many aspects have not been introduced, uh, they, they could be. And that's something that is, is not only uh, of concern uh, to Russians who might want to enter the country and Ukrainians who might want to exit the country and visit relatives or friends or go on business trips to Russia, but uh, those you know those that 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 live in, uh, permanently in these regions as well. You know, it could take several days for for regional governments uh, to figure out what it does mean and which parts of it to impose. Should Putin be worried about more sanctions, or has the West's response really just emboldened emboldened him? Well, that's difficult to say, uh, because before the clash uh, on Sunday, there was uh, talks of sanctions. We have uh, heard uh, uh, a speech from uh, Federica Mogherini, who clearly indicated that there might be some actions taken uh, against Russian um, intrusive inspections in the Azov Sea. Um, but now, after the clash, uh, the position is not really clear. We haven't really heard about possible sanctions coming. The EU has reacted uh, quite critical and strong. There has been uh, a strong statement just recently, but no talks of clear steps now. So it's really hard to say at the moment. I think a lot will depend on whether Russia will uh, let go of the crew members that it arrested after it arrested the Ukrainian ships. Elena, Chris, thank you very much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. In recent years, Russians have developed an appetite for rap battles in which artists face off in front of judges and a live audience. These lyrical bouts are watched by millions on YouTube. But now, Russian rap is caught up in a different kind of battle, this time with the authorities. It all started last week when Husky was handed a 12-day jail sentence for performing on the hood of a car after the authorities shut down one of his concerts. But he had also had songs banned from YouTube in Russia. 
In a move that really no one expected, Russia's rap community staged a concert in Moscow to protest his detention and to raise money for him. Thousands went along, including opposition leader Alexei Navalny. But most importantly, the controversy has seen some local stars in the industry sounding increasingly political. Joining us on the line is Maria Alyokina, one of three Pussy Riot members who was jailed six years ago for the group's controversial punk performance in Moscow's most revered Orthodox church. Masha, let's start with the most basic question. The Kremlin appears to be increasingly concerned about rap. Why is that? Well, I don't think that it's only about rap, but it's about political songs. I think uh, during, let's say, last year, a lot of musicians uh, understood that they are not out of politics and start to create songs. Um, And... um, I see it as a very, you know, cool and positive direction. Uh, But um, from the second side, of course, the state started to react. And what you heard about Husky is just uh, maybe a recent example. The second example is uh, Ice Free Peak group. They had a tour around Russia and they've been arrested at Perm. It's like the nearest city from my uh, penal colony. Uh, they were blocked uh, on the venue where used to have a concert. And um, their concert was uh, banned by the local police and FSB. Uh, the same situation they have other cities. This is a reaction because their, one of uh, their last songs was very political and... Um, like one of the statements uh, from the song, uh, I don't know how to translate it to English, but let it burn or something. And uh, their concerts are in danger. For example, also we have rap uh, singer called Face. His album was very political. And so tell us, why does the, the, why does the Kremlin feel threatened by, by these lyrics? Because if art can, you know, art and music can change the opinion changed uh, the country. We saw that Husky was released just three days into his 12-day sentence, apparently after someone in the Kremlin inner circle intervened. Why do you think he was let out? Uh, why he's why he been released? Yeah. I think he's he been released because of the somebody's decision. Uh, I don't know uh, whose decision it was. And it's, it's very... Um, representative for Russia, like for contemporary Russia, all the courts are not independent. And uh, in the political cases, all the decisions are made by, you know, some people from administration of the president or security service. And uh, nobody knows uh, who and uh, how um, these decisions are are made. I think uh, that was just um, actually arrest. Uh, this initiative was uh, made by uh, local police and local security service in Krasnodar. And uh, when in Moscow, probably somebody heard about that. Uh, they didn't want uh, like more scandal situation than it was already. As I said before, nobody knows what is inside their heads. Husky announced this week that he was donating the money raised at this concert to opposition media outlets, including the one that you co-founded after you were released. 
Are you surprised to hear some of the political rhetoric coming from these musicians who until recently weren't political at all? Well, at some point, yes. And, uh, but it's one of the good surprises which I see in the country. And um, this concert uh, of solidarity with Husky, which was uh, made by three uh, rap singers, was really one of the best initiatives I, I've seen, you know, maybe this year. Uh, and one of, the, one of them, Aksimiron, he's uh, my friend, and I'm really happy that uh, he made the statement. Your own imprisonment in 2012 changed Russia's attitudes towards controversial or political music. What kind of impact do you think this is having on the Kremlin's decisions today? Well, I think uh, our example, uh, the state, uh, remember, even now, and they start to use uh, other methods uh, of blocking people, uh, of you know, repressing people, than pure imprisonment. Because there are a lot of, you know, methods to put the pressure to, to artists. And um, we, had, we had this experience, but uh, now those uh, artists who decide uh, to make, you know, political songs or political statements at some festivals or make political movies like Sergei Lajnitsa, for example, they are just not allowed to do anything officially. And this is also, I think, a method of pressure. But um, I'm really happy that I see uh, on social media of this artist uh, statements that they cannot stop us. And for example, this concert, uh, which was uh, made by the singers, was called I Will Sing My Music. And, uh, and I think this is the beginning of something interesting. Uh, thank you very much, Masha, for taking the time to speak with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you also. To finish off, Moscow's mayor, Sergei Sobyanin, opened the capital's very first cable car this week. But just one day later... It was forced to shut down after a reported cyber attack. Will Russia's hackers never take a day off? That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes. I'm Jonathan Brown. Our producer today was Piotr Sauer. And thank you to CM Records Studios in Moscow for hosting the show. Join us next week on From Russia with News.